saved for the first time, I want to invite you to come back. When our lead pastor, Brother Brandon Poiree, will be here. I'm filling in for him today. I hope you'll pray as I pray that uh, him and Heather and their friends are getting some good R&R. He's getting ready to begin a series on Revelation. And so uh, uh, I know he'll come back uh, ready to go. But I'm excited this morning to be able to bring uh, the word to you, a word that I believe that uh, God's laid on my heart uh, to give to you. And I let the Lord lead. You know me well enough. You've been around me long enough. That's how I'm going to do it. And uh, the message I'm going to bring you this morning is uh, it's really an Easter message. And um, prayed about it, prayed about it. And I got to thinking about Brandon just starting that new series in Revelation. And I said, he ain't going to slow down. He don't even slow down for Easter. He'll keep going. And uh, that's how direction I've been going. Uh, and then the uh, devil tried to uh, talk me out of being here uh, this morning as far as in here and doing this and maybe getting somebody else to do it just because of my aches and pains, you know. <clears throat> but uh, this morning, uh, before we came in here, the men were back there in the office praying. And... Uh, took the time to, uh, to pray and confess any, any sin that tripped us up or holding us back so that when we entered in here to worship, we'd be ready. We'd be ready. The Lord kind of touched my heart with that and said, you know, give my people a chance to do that too. So what I'm going to do... <clears throat> I've got a little story I want to share with you on courage. And then I'm going to sing a song. And while I sing that song, that's going to give you an opportunity to respond and come to the altar first thing. Now, I've done a sermon before where it was backwards, okay? I did a backwards sermon. I did the invitation last and then kept going all the way. But this morning, uh, God laid it on my heart to, to do it this way. So that's, that's why we're doing it this way. Uh, we'll color outside the lines, there was a man looking for a job, and he noticed that there was an opening at the local zoo. And he inquired about the job, and he discovered they had a very unusual position there that they wanted to fill. Apparently, the gorilla had died. And until they could get a new one, they needed someone to dress up like a gorilla in a gorilla suit and act like a gorilla for a few days. Now, some of y'all are thinking, I could do that job. He was just to sit, eat, and sleep. I know I can handle that one. His identity would even be kept a secret. And of course, thanks to the very fine gorilla suit, no one would ever know. The zoo offered him good pay for the job, so the man decided to take it. He tried the suit on, and sure enough, he looked just like a gorilla. They led him out to the cage. He took the position in the back of the cage and pretended to sleep. But after a while, he got tired of just sitting around. So he walked around a little bit. He jumped up and down and tried a few gorilla noises. The people who were watching seemed to really like it. So what did he do? 
He started to move around, jump around even more. So they would clap, they would cheer, and they even threw peanuts to him. And the man loved peanuts. So he jumped around even more, tried to climb a tree. That seemed to really get that crowd excited. And they threw more peanuts. Playing to the crowd, he grabbed a vine, and he swung from one side of the cage to the other. The people enjoyed it. The more peanuts they threw, wow, this is great, he thought. He swung higher, and he swung higher and higher, and then all of a sudden, boom, the vine broke. He swung right out of the cage, landed over in the lion's cage that was next door. Oh, he started to panic. There was a huge lion not 20 feet away from him. What was he going to do? And that lion looked hungry. So the man started jumping up and down, screaming, yelling, help, help, help. Get me out of here. I'm really not a gorilla. I'm a man in a gorilla suit. Help. About that time, that lion just pounced on him and held him down. He said, shut up. You're going to get us both fired. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, sooner or later, we all get found out, don't we? Sooner or later, we all blow our cover. It's just a matter of time before we get found out. See, God knows your hearts this morning. And so my question to you today and my challenge to you this morning is, where's your courage? Where's your courage? It's my prayer that you'll have courage enough to, to lay down at the altar or right where you're standing or sitting in just a little bit, whatever it is that might be holding you back from worshiping our one true God today. See, no matter what your struggle is, what you're going through, he knows it. It's no surprise to him. There's no point in pretending what we are, who we are, sooner or later, says the scripture, will be declared from the rooftops. My challenge to you today and how courageous you are is to be open and honest with yourself and God in your response to this message today. And I believe in order to be honest and open in response, we need to make sure that we are in a right place with him. So if y'all queue up, somebody's praying. Uh, I couldn't make it every day, friends, if I didn't have people like you praying for me. Prayer is a powerful thing. And the more you try to do for God, the more the devil's going to try to be upset with you and try to trip you up and set traps for you. I can feel prayers. I've lost some good prayer warriors. I got a friend, Gloria, her mama up in Ohio. Man, she constantly. I just saw her a couple times a year. But, buddy, she was faithful in praying for me. She went on to be with the Lord, Nancy, what, four years ago now, maybe? Uh, it's hard to replace prayer warriors like that. But I tell people when I see them, I say, are you a Christian? They say, yeah. I said, well, do you, and I'm talking to you too this morning, okay? I say, uh, well, do you have a, a little uh, prayer journal? Some of them say yes. I said, well, please put handball on it. If I say no, I say, well, please start one and put handbone on it. 
Somebody's praying. Okay. <clears throat> Somebody's praying. I can feel it. Somebody's Protect me from what I can't see, Lord, I believe, Lord, I believe, somebody's praying for me. You have a good morning in Kidwell.
thinking about praying. Yeah. Thank you. Is it about time for that? Before we do the offering, my heart's heavy this morning for those of you who have suffered with the loss of a loved one in recent days and weeks. Some is real fresh. God bless you. I pray that you know that God's right there with you as you go through this season of your life. As Christians, we need to remember to be praying for our brothers and sisters. And when I'm doing a service, I always remind the people as well as I remind myself not to just pray, be praying for them that day while we're doing the service, but especially in the days and weeks to come because it's so, so important. I want us to pause and have a prayer and then we'll go into our offering. Lord, I love you. Lord, it's at times like these, Lord, when we see our friends, Lord, uh, lose loved ones, and we lose our friends, and we lose our loved ones, God. That's when we're reminded of how precious life really is. Lord, you tell us in your word in Psalm 46.10 to be still. That's hard for some of us to do because we're busy people. But after you say be still, you say know that I am God. I pray that for my brothers and my sisters. In Jesus' name, I love you. Amen. All right, y'all come on down. We're going to have a prayer. Asking God to take what's given this morning and to bless it like only he can. There's so much work that's been done, that is doing, and even needs to be done. Amen. There's even a little container outside on the table for those of you who read the bulletin or see the media online that we're trying to gather up a couple hundred combs. And some have seen that, and some have put some in there. But we need more. If not, I'm going to have to go out and buy them. So, uh, you know, between now and next week, if you get a chance, that's just a little way that, uh, that we can help make a difference in this world. And... I know a lot of you think, well, why are you collecting combs? <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. Good catch. <laughs> why? Drum roll. Why are you collecting combs? You don't need combs. I don't. I really don't. I can wash my face and my head and hair at the same time. One swipe. But there's people in prisons that do. And so we're, we're sending combs to prisons, putting together prison packages. So thank you for your help in that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. We'll pray in church, amen. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, I just pray right now, God, for this offering. God, I pray for the people that's giving. God, I pray for those that aren't even able to give this morning. And Lord, I know we got a variety of folks. God, from, from being able to, to not give, to give a little, to give, and Lord, some are, have been tithing, some are learning to tithe, God. But today, we thank you for everyone, from the youngest to the oldest, uh, from the pennies to the dollars, God. We just pray. Lord, we dedicate whatever's collected this morning to your will, to your service, God, and that you would take it and bless it, multiply it, God, to help meet those needs. Lord, as we try to use the theme around here in Acts 1-8, here, there, and everywhere, God, bless it. In Jesus' name, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to give. Amen. Get back to your seat. You want to open up God's Word. You can look on the screen, have his best for you. We're going to Luke 24 here in just a minute. Chapter 24, beginning with verse 1, is where we'll be. Came across this story. It was told by dear Abby in response to somebody's question. A young man from a wealthy family was about to graduate from high school. And it was a custom in that affluent neighborhood for the parents to give the graduate an automobile. Now, I didn't live in that neighborhood growing up. I don't know about you. That was certainly not me. <laughs> oh, anyway... The boy's name was Bill. Him and his father, they'd went out and they'd spent months just searching for the right car, you know. And as they went out and they searched and searched, they found the perfect car. But on the eve of his graduation, his father gave Bill a gift wrapped Bible. And Bill was so angry. They threw the Bible down and he stormed out of the house, never to see his father again. It was the news of his father's death that brought Bill back home again. As he sat there one night going through his father's possessions, which he would soon inherit, he came across that Bible. And he wiped the dust off of it. As he did, he opened it up and he found the cashier's check. Dated on the date of his graduation in the correct amount of that perfect car that they had picked out for Bill. As I thought about that story, I couldn't help but wonder how many people in this world have done the same thing to God. How many people in this world have done the same thing to God? Literally tossed aside a wonderful promise because they didn't understand it or didn't believe that it was possible. See, in our world, we're taught that if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true, right? So many of us have been taken in by empty promises. 
that we're leery of anything or anyone that tells us that we can have something for nothing. There's just no free lunches anymore. The world simply doesn't work that way. The title to this message is The Empty Promises of Easter. The Empty Promises of Easter. Just because you're hearing this Easter message today does not give you permission to miss Easter Sunday. <laughs> you come back, whether Brandon's preaching in Revelation or he gives you an Easter message, it'll be different, okay? So you come on back. No, the world doesn't work that way, but let me tell you something today, friends. God does. God does. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Amen. The truth of the matter is, the world is full of empty promises. We watch TV, we see the advertisements that tell us that we can be happy. We can be sexy, we can be rich, we can be famous, if, there's that big word, if we only purchase a certain product. It doesn't take long before we've been fooled enough to know that the world's promises are full of emptiness. But God is different. Instead of Promises full of emptiness. This message shows that he gave us emptiness that is full of promises. I'm going to say it again. God gave us emptiness that is full of promises. This morning... I want to think about the promises of Easter. There's three of them I want to share with you today. Each promise is marked by something empty. We'll have an empty cross, an empty tomb, an empty burial clothes. It is the very fact that each of these is empty. And that assures us that God's promises are real because they couldn't hold Jesus, because he couldn't be contained by the cross. He couldn't be contained by the tomb, and he couldn't even be contained in his burial clothes. We can be sure of the fullness of God's promises in our lives. First, we're going to look at an empty cross. Let's begin with the empty cross. Because the cross was empty, we have the promise of forgiven sins. Amen. I am so happy about that this morning, and I hope you are too. Let's go back if we can to that first Easter morning. It's early in the morning, dawn, but the sun is not risen. A few of Jesus' followers, women, are on their way to the tomb. 
It is the tomb where Jesus was buried. They've been walking now for about a half an hour just to get there. The conversation is subdued. The task before them is a sad one. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus. And as they come to the top of the rise in the path, they all stop. Motionless and quiet, they stare off at a distance. And as you look with them, I want you to look off to your right. Just outside the city stands the gruesome reminder of the events of just a few days. Do you see it? Over there? Silhouetted by the glow of the pink sky or the pale yellow lights. On top of the hill, the locals call the skull. There was three crosses, but today we're going to focus on the cross in the middle. Yesterday was the Sabbath, so nobody had yet removed them. So there they stand, an empty reminder of the horror of Friday. That one in the middle. This is the one that I want you to see. That's the one that Jesus hung on. Take a close look at it. Look up at the top. Those blood stains are from the crown of thorns that were crushed down on Jesus' skull. The stains on the ends of the crossbar, they came from the nails that were driven in his hands. The main beam, it was soaked with blood. Blood from his back, blood that was bled when those Roman soldiers beat him with that cat of nine tails. It also has stains from the blood that poured from his side when another Roman soldier ran a spear into his side to see if he was dead. He was. Don't ever believe anyone who tells you that he was just faking it. There was no question, friends. Jesus was dead. The soldiers knew it. The Romans knew it. And the Jews knew it knew it. Just think. Together, they made up a lie. The disciples stole the body. Can you imagine 11 fishermen overpowering a company of Roman soldiers, moving a two-ton stone and stealing the body of Jesus just so they could claim that he came back to life? and then willingly die to protect that lie? <laughs> no, friends. You see, Jesus really did die. That is why I want you to see the cross this morning. It is the place where he died. But today, that cross is empty. Empty of Jesus' body, but full of God's promises. Full of hope for you. Full of hope for me. 
The promise of the empty cross is that you and I stand forgiven. You and I stand forgiven. Doesn't matter how big and bad you've been or what you've done or what you hadn't done. The sins of commission and omission. Took me many years to figure that one out. But that omission, sin of omission, is things that we should be doing for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but we don't. That's free oyster chocolate. But it was on that cross that Jesus paid that penalty for our sins. Sin. Now there is a word that is just not popular anymore. It's a word that is politically correct in many circles. But the simple fact of the matter is we all have sinned. Amen? Every one of us, you, me, the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only person who's ever lived a sinless life is our Lord and Savior himself. Everyone else has failed. So here's the problem. According to God's law, the wages of sin, he says, the soul that sins will surely die. That's me and you. Because we've sinned, we deserve God's just punishment. That's true. We deserve eternal death. Hell. However, when you look at that empty cross this morning, it's a reminder of God's promise that we have been forgiven. Some of you have accepted that. Some of you still having a hard time wrapping your mind around it. How he could. Some of you even accept God's forgiveness, but you can't forgive yourself. This morning, if that's you, I hope you'll be able to lay that down before you leave here and know that he loves you that much. Not only is he willing to forgive you, but he'll forget it. We as humans can't comprehend that, can we? But we have a hard time forgiving people sometimes for stuff. But on that cross, Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and mine. God's word tells us again that God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was on that cross that Jesus Christ offered his perfect, his sinless life on behalf of each one of us. No one else, my friends, not Moses or Abraham or David or Isaiah nor Muhammad or Buddha, no one else ever lived perfectly and then offered his perfect life for our salvation. That is why the Bible tells us that there is no other name given under heaven under which we can be saved. See, when Jesus Christ breathed his last, he cried out, it is finished. The penalty was paid on that cross 
that empty cross. It was there. That his blood was spilt for our salvation. Before that fateful Friday, God could open the books and look at each name. Written in black were the words, guilt of sin. But when Jesus went to the cross, God literally transformed our accounts to his name. And on that day, across every name, he wrote in Jesus' blood, forgiven, 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 because it is finished. This song I dedicate this morning to my friend, Gwen Musgrove. She's gone on to be with the Lord. When I was at Fairview, she would play this song, and I would sing it. Nobody's ever been able to play it like Gwen and for me to be able to sing it. This was recorded, and uh, so I'm going to play it for you this morning because the words are true. Got it? It is finished. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. On that line stands the old rugged cross. On that cross, a battle is raging for the gain of man's soul. Darkness, he cried. 
of the work that Jesus did on that cross. You and I now stand forgiven. No, we don't deserve it. Nothing we can do to earn it. God's love. The first thing my mama ever taught me said, son, God is love. God is love. The first empty promise of Easter is the empty cross filled with the promise of forgiven sins. Whew. The second one is the empty tomb. <clears throat> Let's go back to our ladies. After pausing briefly to view the cross, they continue on their way down the path to the tomb. And as they go, one of them wonders out loud, which we do sometimes, who will move the stone for us? They gave and have a good reason to be concerned. The stone that was placed in front of the tomb was a large boulder, probably weighing someone toward two tons. And not only that, remember, the Romans had sealed it. So no one would be allowed to move it without their permission. However, the ladies continue on. Suddenly, they feel the earth move, and they were frightened. They look at each other, not certain what to do. But after a few minutes, things seem to get a little more normal. So they continue down along the way. As they approach the burial site, 
They're still wondering about what had happened when all of a sudden they came upon something even more remarkable. The soldiers were all unconscious. The stone had been already moved. And the angel was glowing like lightning sitting up on the tomb. Listen to his words. Do not be afraid. For I know who you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He has risen. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. Get excited about that this morning. Because you know what? If you're saved, if you've got Jesus Christ living in your heart and in your life, whoo, he's alive living in you. Wow. That's why we got to protect this old temple we got. I'll tell you a little story about this little fellow named Philip. He never felt like he belonged. Been there and done that. He was pleasant enough, but he looked a bit different, and sometimes he seemed awkward to his eight-year-old classmates. But in his Sunday school class several weeks before Easter, Philip's teacher had an assignment for him, a special project, if you will. And they gave every person in the class a plastic egg. It wasn't just any kind of plastic egg. It was the kind I remember that those pantyhose used to come in. It was the bigger eggs. When I used to hunt Easter eggs back in my day, that was the prize egg. Most of them were silver. silver. Then they came out with a gold one. That was really the prize. Now I've seen blue ones and yellow ones. But you get my point. So here's what the plan was. Each child was to go outside and find a symbol of new life and put it in their egg and bring it back in the class. The kids were excited. Back in the classroom, when they came back in, they were open one at a time, each child explaining the meaning of their symbol. In the first egg, there was a pretty flower. In the next one, there was a beautiful butterfly. The next one and the third one was green grass. The children ooed and they awed. And another was a rock, which prompted loud laughter. Finally, the last egg to be opened was Philip's. And when he opened up his egg, there was nothing in it. That's stupid, said one child. Another said, someone didn't do it right. Philip didn't do it right. The teacher felt a tug on his shirt. It was Philip who said, that's my egg, teacher, and I did do it right. Said, it's empty because the tomb was empty. See, there was unusual, thoughtful silence there. And strangely, from that time on, Philip was accepted a little bit better as part of their group. Continued, Philip continued to struggle, and as he struggled just with his, he had so many physical problems that 
that summer, he picked up an infection. As most people could have just easily shaken it off, he couldn't. His body was too weak, and a few late weeks later, he died. And at the funeral, nine eight-year-olds with their teacher brought their symbol of remembrance and placed it near his coffin. The unusual gift of love to Philip wasn't flowers. It was a gift of an empty egg. Now the symbol to them of new life and hope. It was Philip, see, the different child who had helped his friends see the wonderful hope in the message of Easter. For in fact, the empty tomb is the truth of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the promise to every one of us that we too will be raised to eternal life. He is alive, Steve. <laughs> Amen. To those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Death has lost its sting. It is no longer something to be feared. What fear is there when we have the promise that one day we'll live forever with him in heaven? A father and son were traveling down a country road one afternoon. It was in the springtime when suddenly there was a bee that flew in the window. Well, the son was allergic to bee stings. The boy began to panic, and the daddy reached over and took the bee and put it in his hand. He closed up his hand as he did. He opened it up, and the blue little bee buzzed away, and he started getting frightened again. And dad said, look, son, the stinger's still in my hand. He can't hurt you anymore. Oh, friends, that's what Jesus has done for you. That's what Jesus has done for me. The empty tomb. The truth of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the empty tomb is God's way of saying to us, relax, my child. I took the sting. I took the sting for you. Death can't hurt you anymore. Why was the tomb empty? Because Jesus was alive. The angel said he has risen. And the promise to us is that we too can live even if we die. See, we're all going to live forever. I used to just think, well, we die, we go to heaven. Other people go to hell. But, I mean, forever and ever is a long time, right? Well, it's forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever in heaven or forever and ever and ever and ever in hell. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. How have you already responded to that? If you have. Or if you don't and you haven't, then you need to. You got to know that you know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You need to make sure. Titus had a friend, Drew, sitting with him in church one Sunday morning. And he saw Brandon take that watch off and lay it down there beside his Bible on the table. And Drew looked at Titus and said, Titus, 
What does that mean when your daddy does that? Silas looked at Drew and said, believe me, Drew, it don't mean nothing. <laughs> but I will try to be <clears throat> conscious of your time, okay? I'm winding it down. Oh, goodness. Life's too short not to enjoy it. Uh, uh, uh. The empty cross, the empty tomb. And now we're going to look at empty grave clothes. You'll see it doesn't end there. That's the one more promise that I want you to know about Easter. It's the promise of the empty grave clothes. After the angel had spoken to the woman, they immediately went back to the apostles, reported what they had seen and what had happened. And with this incredible news, Peter and John immediately raced back to the tomb to see for themselves, right? When they got there, John stopped outside the tomb, but Peter, knowing Peter, he ran right on in. It didn't take them long to discover that the tomb was just the way the women said it was. It was empty, but that's not all. Inside, Peter found the clothes that Jesus had been buried in. They, too, were empty. But this could only mean one thing. Jesus was alive. And if someone had stolen his body, they wouldn't have removed his burial clothes and folded them up neatly and left them right where they lay, truly Jesus was resurrected. And it wouldn't be long before Jesus himself would appear to Mary Magdalene and to all the apostles and eventually to over 500 people. He would sit down with them. He would walk with them. He would talk with them. And he would eat with them. Once again, they would be able to fellowship with their Lord. You see, that's the promise of the empty burial clothes. Jesus is alive, and he wants to fellowship with you and me. He is a living Savior. He desires to have a personal relationship with each one of us, just as he did with those disciples over 2,000 years ago. You remember hearing part of my testimony, I accepted Christ when I was 10, so I made him my Savior. It was seven years later, when I was 17 years old, when I finally learned the reason God created me and the reason God created each one of you was for us to have a personal relationship with him. Handball, what are you talking about? Read God's Word. Pray. Go to church. Bible studies, bucket groups. Hang out with those other believers. And don't forget to tell other people about what Jesus is doing and has done in your life. Woo! That don't get you excited. Thinking about fellowship. 
personal relationship. Think about that. The cross couldn't hold him. The tomb couldn't contain him. And the burial clothes were unnecessary because Jesus is alive. He had skin and bones and a face that was recognizable. And he talked and he touched and he loved and he healed. He did it the day of his resurrection. And he does it still today. And most importantly, he wants to do it with you. Peyton Manning. Hillary Clinton. Barack Obama. Michael Jordan. These are people that we know something about. But do any of us really know them? See, you can know Jesus Christ personally. You can know his love. You can know his care. You can know his healing. And you can know his forgiveness. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and I will dine with him and he with me. I'm reminded of the picture of Jesus standing at the door. Knocking. Just like he stood at the door of my heart knocking. He stands at the door of your heart knocking. But as you look at the picture of that door, there's no doorknob. There's no door handle where he can just open it himself. It tells you and tells me it's up to us to hear his voice. It's up to us to open the door and let him in. This morning, have you let him into your life? Is he your savior? But also, is he your Lord? See, it took me seven years to figure out I just didn't need him as my savior, my fire insurance policy, but I needed him as the Lord of my life. And there is a difference. It's been more than 2,000 years now since Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. That first Easter Sunday, as the women went up to the grave, they had no idea what was about to happen to them. They were not yet aware of the wonderful promises of that day. Off in the distance stood that empty cross. The promise that their sins were forgiven. And it's a promise, my friends, today that our sins are forgiven. At the end of their journey was an empty tomb the promise of their eternal life. And inside that tomb, 
was empty burial clothes. The promise that they could once again have a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ, their living Savior. The promises they discovered that day, you too can have today. You too can know the freedom of forgiven sins. You too can know the promise of eternal life in heaven. And you too can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I think at Easter, more than any other time of the year, we realize that God has made all sorts of outlandish promises. So outlandish that some of us cannot bring ourselves to believe it, or can't. Can we? This morning, we've heard about three promises that God's made to you and to me. The promise of forgiven sins. The promise of eternal life. And the promise of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My question to you today, friends, will you take him at his word? Will you take him at his word? If so, listen to this final promise. It's found in Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That everyone is me and you. If you've never accepted God's promises for your life, he is waiting. Not only is he waiting, but he's probably wondering, for heaven's sake, what's taking you so long? Don't wait another day. My challenge to you is do it today if you haven't. And know the joy of eternal life in Jesus Christ. As the band plays, you respond as God leads. And remember, how courageous are you to be open and honest with God and yourself today in response? this morning's message I simply say come just as you are there'll be some of us down front if you need us we'll be here before you the invitation is a multiple invitation if you've never given your heart to Jesus and accepted his forgiveness and his amazing awesome grace then that's one invitation for you right there. If you've made him, let him be the Savior of your life, but you were like me, it took you years, and maybe you hadn't got to that point yet that he's also Lord of your life. You see, I was guilty. I was saying, Lord, hey, I give myself to you, but there's some little something here that I just want to keep from saying for him, That's not the way it works. 
We need to surrender all so that he can have total control of our life. And that way it's going to be much, much better. I promise you that. If you've accepted him, you've been living for him, but hey, you've had some tough things going on in your life. Like, might be a loss of love, one, might be a loss of a job. Might be that, that word, I don't like to use the word hate, but cancer. I don't strongly dislike it. I hate it. Whatever your struggle's been, maybe it's caused you to take your eyes off Jesus and you've been focusing on the problem. What works for me is do something for somebody else if you're in a hole and you're struggling. Go try to bless somebody, because I promise you, as you're trying to bless somebody, you're the one who's going to get blessed. Whatever you need to do today, I know you can do it right there where you are, where you're sitting, you're getting ready to be standing. But what a public example it is to see you come to the altar and pray or give your heart to Jesus, you know, and, and let other people see it. It gives them encouragement, maybe, hey, you know, I can do that too. I need to do that. So this morning, as they play, you respond, okay? Be courageous. I love you. Most of all, God loves you. Don't ever forget.